Welcome to The Workplace, where we talk about the cultures we work in and how to make them better for everyone. I'm Andrew Scarcella. This episode, we're talking with Pete DeBellis from Deloitte about the new mandates facing HR leaders today and why we need to rethink the role of HR if we're going to successfully adapt to an unknown future. Join us after the interview for Tangible Takeaways, where we'll talk about the ideas and actions we can take with us and implement in our own workplace cultures. With a background as a consultant and an in-house rewards professional, Pete has a deep understanding of the links between HR strategy and business objectives, as well as the latest tools and technology to help organizations attract, motivate, develop, and retain their talent. Pete was interviewed by Katie Clifford, our executive producer who, sadly, will be leaving the workplace. This is her last episode, and I'm told she'll be going to a nice farm upstate where there's plenty of space to run and all the geese she can chase. Hi, Katie. Or should I say, bye, Katie? Oh, that is a heartbreaking thing to hear. But yes, I I am headed up up to the where the geese Green- fly. Greener pastures. Greener pastures. <laughs> up, up to where the, gre- the up geese to where fly. The geese Sounds fly. like you're going to heaven. It really mm, does. Maybe. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> but hi, Andrew. It's good to good to chat with you. Good to hear your voice. Absolutely. So you got to talk to Pete DeBellis from Deloitte. He is kind of a big deal at a place that's kind of a big deal. So he has a lot of opinions and thoughts about how we should be rethinking HR, but there were two specifically that you wanted to focus on. What were they? Well, Pete and his organization, Deloitte, who we love, um, they they have sort of 10 mandates for HR this year. And their real theory is that HR, based on this last year and, and lots of things that are happening in the world, can take a bigger, more um, powerful role at organizations. And it needs to, right? It absolutely, yes, absolutely. It needs to. That's sort of uh they're at a crossroads right now. And he so they had 10 um imperatives, but Pete had mentioned when he spoke at our Influence Greatness conference, two that were really kind of key drivers. And that is empowering change and driving inclusive culture. And to me, those two felt very much in line with what we've all been dealing with over the last year or so. Um, and so those were the two that we really wanted to dive in and talk about. If they're, it's hard to do 10 things at an organization all at once, it is a little bit easier to focus on two. So that's where we really spent most of our time was on those two. And I think you really got a lot of marrow out of that bone. You know, it was really interesting to hear just how Im- imperative those two are. You know, they're all, he's, he's used the word mandate. Right. right. So it's, it's already really important, deal. but but those last two are really the the crux of the whole biscuit, as they say. Yeah. I mean, those two he mentions are two things that will have an effect on the bottom line of your organization. And that is something that HR doesn't always have um, influence over. So to have these two areas that are, uh, at least in my opinion, coming away from this conversation with Pete, feel like if you don't do these, it's at your peril. Um, HR doesn't always get to be part of those conversations, and and they really will be the ones that 
drive this cultural change in organizations in those two areas. And I, th- I think that's exciting. I think that should be something that kind of lights up the HR space. Mm-hmm. This might be the most influential HR podcast episode in the universe. Would you agree? I think that's fair, Andrew. I think this is it. Well, you're going out on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't wait to hear the whole interview. So I don't want to say goodbye. I'll just say, let's get to it. The first question we're going to ask you, Pete, is a question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, what was your first job? And what do you remember about kind of the the culture at that first job? Uh, believe it or not, Katie, my, my first job was actually at a funeral home. Um, and, and the culture wow. there was fascinating. Yeah, it's the mission, of course, to to help folks feel comfort at a, at a very difficult time. Um, and the culture was was built on respect, respect for life, respect for the customers, um, real emphasis on kind of handling the details well and, and operating smoothly because you were often seeing people on, you know, seeing customers on their very worst days. And I suppose in some way that maybe set me up for a career in, in corporate HR. <laughs> Wow, that is fast. I could actually probably spend a whole podcast asking you about that. What a super fascinating first job. Um, I actually, my father passed away a few years ago, and so we went through the whole process of working with a funeral home. And I actually couldn't believe how much they do when you're just, like you said, at a moment where we couldn't process anything and we didn't know what all the steps were. And they were so kind and nice and even sometimes funny, you know, when we needed yeah. a little bit of a, a break in the tension. So that's really cool. That does feel like actually you probably learned some skills that have come in handy. Agreed. And sorry to hear about your dad, but I'm glad you had a good experience with the industry. So. Yeah, we really did. It is it is a fascinating industry. Um, all right. So let's just kind of begin by setting the stage a little bit. Maybe you can help paint a picture because we're going to talk about the ways that HR uh, can really lead organizations through change. And obviously, we've all been through a lot of changes this last year. Uh, things are a little crazy. But even prior to that, there were changes to the business landscape. And maybe you can kind of just help ground us in what are some of the biggest changes you've seen over the last few years that are affecting how companies work and, and where HR can fit into that mix. Sure. And master the obvious here, but I'll, I'll start with COVID. Um, yeah. you know, the world changed forever in, in the spring of 2020 when the pandemic took hold and, and threatened the lives and livelihoods of, of workers around the globe. And Organizations quickly learned that employee health and, and well-being were indeed business continuity issues and that schools and child care facilities um, are an often overlooked variable impacting workforce availability. And at the same time, the, the pandemic highlighted some, some pretty longstanding societal and, and economic disparities. It also challenged our assumptions about which workers are, quote unquote, essential, yeah. as well as, as where and, and when work can be done. Um, and, and even beyond the, the work lens, we've also seen the pandemic drive huge changes to consumer behaviors, um, what and, and how we buy, as well as, of course, economic fallout you know, around the globe. Um, but beyond you know, the, the most obvious example of the pandemic, um, I think technology would, would be another pretty big one and would be high on the list of folks list that folks have of uh, changes to the business an- landscape, the, the surging capability and affordability of of AI, cognitive, and, and robotics in particular. But 
I think we're all living that, and, and it's pretty well documented. So I guess I'd rather highlight what we at Deloitte call the rise of the social enterprise. And that's the idea that now, more than ever, business leaders need to also consider how to advance society and how to leverage their business models for social good, not just for profits. And this yeah. this growing recognition that there are stakeholders beyond shareholders, so workers, customers, communities, ecosystems, and so on. Um, for me, in my mind, that represents a pretty seismic shift to the business landscape. One of the things that you said uh, in your in your conference speech that I just thought was so cool was that the most important quality of a 21st century leader is the ability to lead through complexity and ambiguity. And holy cow, has that <laughs> turned out to be huge this year. So can you talk to us a little bit about how does HR become a driver of that? Like what so much of their job is based in, you know, mitigating arguments and filling out forms. So how do you see that really being something that HR can drive? Yeah, I guess first I have to kind of give credit to the the crowd, to the hive mind there, because that was a pretty easy call for me um, <laughs> because I had the data from Deloitte's big human capital trends survey that year. And, and we heard from uh, from over 10,000 respondents from around the world. And, wow. and more than eight in 10 of those respondents felt that leadership today brings new requirements driven by, you know, we talked about changing technology, but also changing demographics and just an overall increasing pace of change. And foremost among those new requirements for 21st century leadership um, was indeed the ability to lead through complexity and ambiguity. So that was kind of teed up for me. I can't (laughs) can't take credit for that. Um, But in terms of what it means for HR, in my mind, it means that we have the opportunity to be an indispensable driver of change across the organization by helping to cultivate the right type of leadership. Mm. But before HR as a function can deliver against that aspiration, I think HR leadership um, has to reinvent itself first. And HR leaders need to shed some of that traditional role you mentioned of, of kind of guardians of, of policy and process focused on on mitigating risk, kind of the old personnel department model, uh, and instead embrace a new role, acting as indispensable agents of change and really co-owners of business outcomes. It's interesting you just used the word personnel because I think when, maybe even when I started in my career, it was kind of like the personnel department. And that very word, human resources, speaks to a different responsibility, right? Like <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not just I, I thought your term guardian of policy and process was very uh, apt. I am relatively new to the HR industry. I came from a from a different industry and what's been exciting for me is to see really the the potential that HR has to have a bigger seat at the executive table, to take more of a strategy role. And some of my favorite HR leaders in my uh, career have been those that talk to me about what is your career path and how do you, you know, how can we support you in in developing as a leader? And to me, that's super exciting to have a department that's focused on that. Um, you guys at, at Deloitte uh, have identified kind of 10 mandates that impact HR leadership. I wish we had time to talk about every single one of them because they are all so fascinating. Um, if, if we could do this, though, um, kind of run us through not speed round, but maybe give us what those 10 are. And then we're going to kind of dig a little deeper into two that I think are the most 
fascinating for right now, but I'd love to hear you kind of run us through what those 10 are. Uh, and again, folks can go back and, and certainly listen to your, uh, your great um, session if they want to, to hear all 10 of them. Okay, sounds good. So first, sensing shifts. In order to identify, understand, and, and stay ahead of all this change that we've been talking about, HR leaders, as well as the broader enterprise, need to use data um, to sense shifts both internally and externally, uh, proactively preparing for change, if you will, not, not yeah. just reacting to it. Um, second, cultivating innovation. So innovation is at the heart of how businesses can adapt to and, and take advantage of change in their markets or actually even create that change and disruption for others. Yeah. And within the function, HR should be looking for opportunities to innovate itself in order to better enable the function to be a catalyst for innovation across the enterprise. Yeah. Next was accessing talent. Um, mm. This involves enabling the enterprise to put the right people in the right place at the right time. Um, not just about acquiring talent from outside the organization, but rather creating mechanisms to identify and deploy talent both externally and internally, um, keeping an open mind toward the many options for accessing workers and, and understanding that not all workers are looking for that same form of relationship with your organization. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I, as a manager, had an experience a few years ago where somebody had to remind me that not everyone was on the same career track that I was, that some people were really happy where they were and they were not looking for something different. They were looking to do what they did well, but they did not want me hassling them about where do you want to go? What's your path? Where are you? Like, I'm here. I am great at my job and this is where I want to be. And I, I really hadn't considered that before. And it was a good thing to learn as a leader that let people be where they want to be sometimes. Yeah, and similarly, if you think about accessing talent broadly, not every contingent or freelance worker wants to be a full-time worker in-house. And you know, having a role like that, kind of we would call off-balance sheet, isn't just necessarily someone uh, doing a tryout and trying to get in onto your balance sheet and become a you know yeah. a payrolled worker. It may be the type of arrangement that's interesting and in, for them and works for their situation. Yeah, I just love the idea of just being sort of open to what works for people and not trying to fit everyone into the exact pathway that you, you see for them. Exactly. Um, fourth was the idea of designing workforce experiences. Mm -hmm. And here, if you couple lagging engagement data with the fact that technology is not just impacting the way work gets done, it's, it's also impacting the worker experience along the way, um, you put those together, and I think it's clear that many organizations need to consciously design workforce experiences that are more personalized and more meaningful. Yeah. And the key mindset here for an HR leader is one of employee as customer, um, really valuing those customers and seeking to understand what their unique and varying wants and needs are, um, like we were just talking about yeah. in that example, um, instead of assuming that you know what's best for them. Next up was creating ecosystems. In this rapidly changing world, businesses are collaborating more and creating partnerships and finding other ways to quickly access resources and opportunities across organizational borders. And many are starting to focus on forming mutually beneficial alliances rather than just gobbling each other up. And um, within the HR function, this is playing out as well as organizations are increasingly partnering with third-party service providers to, to enhance their HR service delivery. 
um, as well as across their own organizations more broadly, um, all in service of delivering uh, better services and a better experience to, to their workforces. Yeah. I think we're up to six now. Sixth was so. uh, become... <laughs> yeah. You were supposed to be keeping count. I am, I am. I've got, okay. look okay. at this. Thank the you. The audience can't see, but I have six fingers up. <laughs> um, sixth was becoming digital. Uh, becoming digital isn't a, a one-time transformation. It's, it's about continuously involving, uh, evolving the use of technology and data for greater efficiency and effectiveness. It requires a positive mindset uh, toward tech and a desire to learn new things. Adaptive thinking, continuous learning, inherent curiosity are some of the human capabilities we can really leverage here, along with, of, of course, specific um, digital skills. Then we talked about reskilling the workforce. Um, we see lots of scary headlines about how today's work activities you know, can be automated in the very near future. But what does that really mean for the people in and around those roles? Um, from my perspective, it means they probably should be focusing on their uniquely human capabilities that machines can't replace, like problem solving or creativity or the empathy we talked about earlier with the funeral home example. Um, while also reskilling you know, as needed. Um, but in order to deliver on reskilling the workforce, an HR leader has to really believe that there are those human capabilities that can't be automated or mechanized, and also that human and machine can work side by side to be more effective than either could be alone. Um, people want to be more productive at work. They want to learn and grow in their role and try new things, and no one wants to be left behind. Um, and that's a big part of why I think this this notion of reskilling this mandate is is so important. And then eighth, uh, this one we touched on already. It's that idea of balancing business and societal outcomes. Um, I, I mentioned it uh, as the notion of the social enterprise when you asked about uh, recent business landscape changes. And again, this describes an increasing expectation and pressure from inside and out of organizations to create value beyond just providing a product or service at an acceptable cost, but to actually have a vested interest in improving the conditions for humanity broadly. And some organizations that have been doing so have realized that this can be more than just a moral play. It can also be a strategy play. Um, organizations singularly focused on, on revenues and profits in an environment like this may not be sustainable long-term, um, but on the flip side, Organizations that only focus on societal outcomes uh, will also likely not be sustainable for very long. Yeah. And, and that's where that balancing part comes in when we say balancing business and societal outcomes. You're a believer in the power of workplace culture, that it can engage and connect your teams, fuel collaboration and spark innovation attract and retain top talent, reduce burnout, increase equity, and of course, help everyone thrive at work. But guiding and shaping culture, especially at a large company, that's a tricky business. Where do you turn for help, for guidance, for tools, technology? OC Tanner, of course. Our Culture Cloud software and services make it easy to deliver the kind of peak moments and unrivaled experiences that are part of a thriving workplace culture. No matter where you are in your journey, Culture Cloud can help. To learn how, go to octanner.com. That's octanner.com. 
empowering change to me is really interesting because um, I don't know if organizations always give their employees the impression that they can make change. And you have mentioned a couple times here that HR needs to reinvent itself in order to be able to bring that kind of, uh, well, to influence an organization. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, that sounds like a lot of scary change, empower, you know, HR has to do it first and then they have to lead the organization. That's just not a, a chair that HR has sat in, in the, in the past. Um, and there are companies where that's starting to change, but could you maybe talk a little bit about, gosh, how does HR even do that? How do we make the leap ourselves so that we can haul the company along with us? Look, if we're asking folks across the organization to change, um, we also have to take a good look in the mirror and, and be ready to change ourselves, to, to be a model of change uh, before we can really effectively drive change forward for the organization. Uh, we need to build credibility by driving change within our own function and then focus on influencing and developing leaders who can embrace and empower change out across the business. Um, and, and to be clear, for me, being an agent of change is is a lot more than, you know, adopting the, the newest wave of, of best practices and, and dutifully tracking against your benchmarks. Um, I don't think that's good enough anymore in this era of, of constant innovation and, and disruption. And instead, I think HR leaders really have to pioneer change by providing the vision um, and also empowering the workforce to lead change and to thrive in it, um, not just keep up with it or, or survive it. Um, and, and I think you really don't manage change. You hear that term a lot, but one of my colleagues actually recently shared a, a great analogy with me. And she said that you, you can't just hang change up in the closet and, and pull it out when you want to wear it. Um, it meaning that that change isn't just a it's not a program or an initiative it's it's a way of being it's a cultural dimension really about yeah. building a growth mindset and and a resilience to change and of course there are fund fundamental elements to change that are going to need to be there like governance and decision rights and so on sure. but we also need to your point to be able to enable it to happen more organically across the organization and that means empowering other behaviors that in turn can lead to change. So, so empowering workers to act and, and, and to drive work in a new way. And you put all that, that soup together. And, and, and to me, that's why I think empowering change is, is among the highest priorities for HR folks of, of all these 10 mandates. And um, we can all start by working on our own acceptance of change and by having a positive attitude toward change as, as both necessary and valuable. Yeah, I think I love what you said about uh, thriving in change because I do think it can be really scary when you hear something like there are going to be shifts or we're going to change our focus or we're reprioritizing. That all feels, I think, to a lot of employees like something bad is going to happen to me. Is my job up in the air? Am I going to have to do something I don't like? Um, and and I love the idea of more, if if change just happens more organically and more often and people feel like, this is part of my job is to grow and evolve and things are going to change, but that's okay. And they should, that probably keeps everyone uh, from being afraid when they hear that word. Like, it's like, Oh, here's an opportunity instead of, Oh no, <laughs> something terrible is about to happen. And, and so I think cultivating that it's, it's a cultural shift, right? It's a, it's a new cultural dimension of your organization to say, we embrace change. We don't, we're not afraid of it. Right. And to another, you know, to coin another phrase here, taking that first step as opposed to waiting for the shoe to drop. Oh, 
yeah, I really like that. Well, it's all part of just being proactive too, right? Instead of waiting for forced change. Precisely. (laughs) Trying to figure out where to look for it. And as you've been talking, I've really been thinking about how HR is so perfectly positioned to be the group that's sort of, all of us, I work in marketing department at our organization. I'm pretty focused on marketing. I'm not thinking about necessarily you know, changes to the business world, but HR has that bird's eye view of everything and can really be sort of noticing shifts and changes. I know them in my, in in my particular section, but I don't necessarily see what's happening globally. So it's pretty cool. The other thing that obviously is, has been a huge topic of discussion over this last year. And I, and I think sometimes even to the point where people are like, yeah, we are, we already know all of this, but I thought your perspective on diversity and inclusion and how to drive an inclusive culture was so good because it, was, it wasn't just you have to do this. You, it's 2021 and that's what we do now. It was like this could actually benefit your organization. Like this is actually a thing that leads to better business outcomes. So I would love to hear a little bit more from your perspective on what does driving an inclusive culture look like and, and how is it something that's going to be just like good for an organization. At this point, I, I think it's no secret that that having a diverse workforce provides a, a breadth and depth of ideas, um, sparking innovation and change. Uh, but but to be clear, I'm talking about more than demographic diversity. It's it's about diversity of thoughts, experiences, mindsets, uh, perspectives. But diversity is wasted if it doesn't exist in an inclusive culture and. When we talk about that kind of an inclusive culture, in our research, we're talking about four things in particular. First being a, a safe and open environment, an authentic environment where, where one can bring their full self to work and, and feel safe and, and welcome. A feeling of respect, equality, and, and equity, kind of the E in D-E-N-I. Um, third, back to our conversation about change, Employees feeling empowered, so feeling empowered and able to grow and to develop. Um, And then fourth and finally, a sense of being valued and belonging in the organization, having a home there, being part of something. Um, If you have those four things, um, those building blocks of an inclusive culture, when you have that inclusive culture, our research shows that organizations are six times more likely to be innovative, six times more likely to anticipate change as we're talking about and and to respond effectively to it and even eight times more likely to have overall better business outcomes. So you you put that together, clearly this is a huge opportunity for HR to provide real business value by leveraging inclusion as part of business strategy. And to do so, HR needs to act as a model for the broader enterprise again uh, by fostering inclusion within the HR function itself yeah. Um, as well as focus on implementing and supporting practices that foster inclusion and belonging across the enterprise. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I know a lot of organizations have put in place sort of like a diversity officer or something like that, but you're saying this is like integrated into all of your functions, that it's not a, a box to check. We have a person thinking about this, but like we're all thinking about that all the time. Is that Precisely. <laughs> Just a critical element of the overall culture built into everything you do and not something that is, you know, is going to be fixed or addressed with a project or a poster on the wall. Yeah. Um, so much today of what we're talking about is 
you know, going a level deeper, deconstructing systems and rooting out bias and understanding the the underlying causes of, of both conscious and unconscious bias. And it is, it's much more of an action. And as you said, like, like we were talking about with change, it's, it's all around us and part of the way of being for successful organizations these days to constantly be working toward building a more inclusive environment, a more equitable um, situation for their workers. I've heard a couple of words that feel like they're um, sort of um, patterns or, or themes that I'm hearing from you. And a lot of them are traits that I don't know that I've ever had uh, somebody tell me we're good, that, that I should develop. And I'm hearing them out of you and thinking, wow, this is what we should tell high school kids is curiosity, empathy, um, creativity. You you really don't necessarily hear that as essential business skills. And especially as we see automation happening, to your point, those are things robots can't really do. <laughs> right. Um, and and I think that goes into everything, right? If you're a curious person, if you're showing empathy, these kinds of things will probably be more natural to you, to you right? Yeah, and, and not to get you know, too deep on here, Katie, but I think that's where the line comes in between skills and capabilities. Um, ah, capabilities yeah. being sort of inherently human capabilities that are demonstrated, you know, independent of context and we all come wired with to some extent or another. Um, and you can think about leveraging and, and building on those capabilities that we all have somewhere inside of us as opposed to you know, a skill that may be sort of applied only in a certain context or be more transient in nature and I bolt it on when I need it or I go, right. you know, shop for a different skill. And um, I, I think your your point is spot on. It's those in- inherent, innate, you know, human capabilities that yeah. are so hard to replace with, with automation or technology. Exactly. It's actually good news. It's good to hear right. that there are some things and that you could apply those across different um jobs and industries. Like I think people are always trying to figure out how do I make myself, if I want to make a transition, how am I marketable? How am I going to be able to survive a transition? And those kinds of capabilities, I'm going to start using that word, (laughs) capabilities versus skills uh, is really important. Yeah. Skills have a half-life as they say. And and that half-life is getting shorter and shorter. Whereas (laughs) capabilities are pretty, you know, seem to be pretty timeless. Yeah, it's really true. I always tell, um, youngsters. I am now in my 40s, so I can call people youngsters. Youngins. When they ask, like, what's a skill I can learn that's that's indispensable across wherever I end up? And I always tell them, learn how to be resourceful. Because if you're the person in the room that figures out how to get things done and, like, knows how to sort of use your network or use your skill set in, in ways that solve problems, you will almost always have a job because someone always wants the person who's resourceful. And that falls into capabilities, right? It's something that a robot also cannot do. <laughs> you can't present it with a problem and it says, well, let me, uh, give me 20 minutes and I'll come back with a solution. Um, so we've talked about a lot of, there. again, I, I'm just so fascinated by this topic because I think HR has so much potential and it's so exciting. We've talked about a lot of stuff. I think um, what if there was like a piece of advice that you as a researcher who has seen everything that's out there, all the things that are happening in the work world and uh, all the things that are happening in HR, what's just something that you would say, here, HR leader who's listened to this podcast, here's a little takeaway for you that you, that something, a little piece of advice that you might want to uh, relay to, to our audience. It's a big question. I mean, no, no pressure, right? No pressure with <laughs> right, that Right, no pressure. Please um, give me a brilliant 
solution. To Please help me stall problems. with some more, some more banter, Katie. <laughs> Um, I, for me, I think it would be the critical importance of culture in addressing mm. any of these mandates, um, yeah. whether it's the 10 we talked about or any others that, that may be facing an organization. And um, Alex and, and his team at Tanner, um, your colleagues, you know, do a great job every year with your culture report. And at Deloitte, we're really looking forward to, to digging even deeper on this topic um, with our research as well. And you know, we're thinking about the the interdependence and kind of co-evolution, if you will, of, of organizational culture and workforce experience and the fact that they're, they're not the same thing and, and aren't actually interchangeable. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll look at how work is changing and, and the role of teams and team leaders in culture and, and the, um, the bi-directional relationship between technology and culture. Yeah. Uh, so that would be it for me, just the importance of culture in all of this. If you could snap your fingers and remove a corporate buzzword or phrase from the universe, which one would it be? Uh, another tough one there. Um, <laughs> I, I guess it would be either unprecedented or, or maybe even disruption. <laughs> um, I, I, to your point, while we were talking about change, I, I'd rather replace disruption with opportunity or, or possibility. Yes. Um, you can face oh. the situation, you can look at the possibilities, and, and you can seek to thrive. Or you can get left behind and, you know, not to get too self-helpy, but you can control <laughs> your reaction and what you do, uh, not the world around you. So wishing it's going to be different and, and talking about how unprecedented it is is, is not really going to help, in my opinion. <laughs> no, that's totally true. If I never have to hear that word again, I will be so happy. It's, we've, we've overused. It's now very precedented. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's, oh, I love this question. What is, uh, sorry, not what is, who is the best boss you've ever had and what made them so great? Mm-hmm. It, um, this is a hard one because, you know, if they listen, they're going to be like, right. am I the one? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a tough question if you've never had one. And it's also yes, a tough also question true. if you've had more than one good one. <laughs> yes. um, I, I suppose I'm, I'm lucky enough to probably be in, be in the latter category. Oh, good. Um, but I, I would pick one. I'll, I'll go with one who, who I won't embarrass by name. Um, okay. But I'm sure she knows who she is if, if she's listening <laughs> to this. Um, she was great to me earlier in my career and, and is still a friend um, to this day. And um, that boss, you know, she really believed in me and, and was deeply invested in my development and, and growth and and affording opportunities to me based on my potential, mm. um, but was at the same time there to catch me when I stumbled. Um, so that, that would be, it would be her and that would be why. And, and she was also is and was um, super smart and, and biased toward action, which both of which are so important to me personally. Gosh, she sounds really awesome. Could we clone her and make, make more leaders out of her? <laughs> <laughs> Those are all the qualities you hope for, right? Someone who pushes you, but also has your back when, when maybe... Push and catch, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Pushing and catching. We all need a little bit of both. Um, What's something about the culture at your organization that's changed in this last year through all of the kind of wild, unprecedented times? Just kidding. What is something that's changed in in your work culture that either surprised you or or made you happy? Something something that changed that you have a, a perspective on? I think the obvious here, but it both you know surprised and and made me happy was how quickly we were able to transition to a remote first work environment, and how we didn't lose the individual connections, the peer to peer and team connections along the way, or 
or in any way really back off on what we were trying to achieve together, um, both for our organization as well as for those we serve. So. Um, that's, that's been the pretty awesome. For me. Yeah, that's pretty great. I think we came to the end of the year and our leaders were like, oh, hey, we really thrived this year. Kind of like, huh, against all odds. Right. <laughs> Everybody's good. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I have to confess, I will be happy to see human faces again. Um, but yeah, I agree with you that I feel like we really haven't missed a step in a lot of ways. Uh, we all did a good job of coming home and being like, we're going to dig in and, and get this done and being tolerant with each other and accepting of some of the, you know, funny quirks, dogs and babies and spouses. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, honestly, not to make it too heavy, but, you know, of course, there's a lot of privilege built into that. And the fact that For sure. lot, myself and a lot of the folks I work with, we were able to work remotely and have roles that are conducive to that. And obviously, like I'm sure you are and others, you know, greatly appreciative of folks who... Yeah who didn't have that chance because they were on the front lines and they are these, you know, everyday heroes that we've been talking about and um, didn't have that opportunity. But, you know, for those of us who did, I think the, you know, we didn't know how many jobs, we had no idea how many roles could actually be done remotely until they were. Yeah, until they just had to be. And yes, yeah. thank you so much for pointing out. We at OC Tanner actually have an, um, an incredible manufacturing group that still goes in every day and gets exactly. our gets our products out. And they really are... I feel like we overuse this word, but they are actually heroes for what they've done. The Herculean effort that they've done to keep our, our organization running is crazy. So thank you for pointing that out. See, you, <laughs> sure. you are, you're in the right field, sir. Um, so the last question, and then we will let you go, but I, I kind of think get a kick out of this one too. So who are your heroes and who are your villains? Hmm. <laughs> well, you you stole the the everyday heroes from me, the frontline oh. workers. You took that one. Um, <laughs> so I'd actually, you know, at the risk of being a little sappy, I I think I'd have to go with my kids there. Um, not, yeah. No, not, I not love that. The They're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not just the resilience that required for a kid to, to grow up in these crazy times, but um, you know, in my case, specifically my daughter, who's inspiring uh, young activist and, and has really found her voice and her passion at an early age. And um, also my son, who's an incredible ballet dancer and wow. really faces all sorts of you know, stereotypes and obstacles with, with just nothing but grace. So I'm, I'm incredibly proud of, uh, of both of them. And, and I guess I'll take them as, uh, as my heroes. Uh, well, I'm getting teary eyed as you can see. So I think that is not sappy at all. Your kids sound well, incredible. Get... <laughs> they are. They're, at least to me, they certainly are. Yeah. Uh, but don't get too sappy because I'll go okay. back to my okay. yeah I'm gonna uh, with the villain side. I'll, I'm happy to to yeah. reel you back in with some of my pessimism <laughs> okay. um, because I, I can give you a long list of those. Sweet, uh, okay. How much time do we have? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Villains, uh, broken processes, broken promises. Mm, yes. Um, organizations that put profit over people. Yeah. Mean people. Um, what goes on, Katie? I don't know. Yeah, no, I like all of those. I think all of those are great. Uh, broken processes, man. That one can oh, really, really wreck your day. You know? <laughs> I also am not a fan of mean people. That, that is, uh, that is no fun. Um, well, thanks so much, Pete. This has been such a great conversation. You are a oh, delight. Sure. Um, I feel like such a font of information. We'll, we'll have to have you back on again because there is so much more to dig into here, but I really appreciate, um, I feel like there were some really good takeaways here and all of the work that you do at Deloitte is amazing. We, we rely so much on the things that we learn from you guys and, uh, and it's a very cool organization. So oh, thank you so fun. much. Well, oh, thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate <laughs> the opportunity and, and thank you also to, to Daniel. I know is behind the scenes making us both, uh, 
probably sound a lot better than we actually do. So thank you to you both and uh, to all our friends at Tanner. And, and thanks, everyone, to listening. Now it's time for Tangible Takeaways, where we take big ideas and suspend them in a 260-gallon sensory deprivation tank filled with a super-saturated Epsom salt solution for optimum buoyancy and heated to exactly 93.5 degrees to perfectly match their skin temperature, allowing them to relax their muscles, calm their mind, and slowly, deliciously, drift into an inky darkness where the only sound is your heartbeat gently tapping out a subconscious reminder. You forgot forgot to feed feed the the fish. The first is a recap of Pete's 10 mandates impacting HR leaders today. Because we're not all taking notes, are we? One, sensing shifts. Anticipate and evolve. Don't just react. Easier said than done, of course. Two, cultivating innovation. That means seeing patterns and connecting unrelated ideas in ways no one else has. Three, accessing talent. Not just access, but deploy. The right people for the right job, right when they're needed. Four, designing workforce experiences. Expectations are shifting, and employee experiences need to become more personalized and more diverse. Five, creating ecosystems. More partnerships and collaborations to leverage resources across organizations. Six, becoming digital. People want the same tools at work or better than the ones they use in their personal lives. Seven, reskilling the workforce. Automation is changing the nature of work. We'll still need people, just people with different skills. Eight, balancing business and societal outcomes. People expect businesses to create societal value, not just financial value. Nine, empowering change. As change accelerates, we have to empower our people to adapt and keep pace. Driving an inclusive culture. Diversity equals innovation, but only if there's inclusion, too. The second is that while skills have a half-life, as Pete puts it, capabilities are timeless. What's the difference between skills and capabilities again? I was just thinking the same thing. Skills are tangible. Excel proficiency, spelling and grammar, SEO, operating experience for a Caterpillar 994K bucket loader, 
etc. Whereas capabilities, at least in this context, are more what you'd think of as soft skills. Empathy, creativity, vulnerability, even humor. Tough to teach, but more and more necessary as technology takes over more and more skills. The third is an exit interview with our soon-to-be former executive producer, Katie Clifford. Welcome back, Katie. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. We just had to squeeze out a little more content from your brain. (laughs) And plus, we gotta, you know, this is our due diligence. As an HR podcast, we are remiss if we do not have an exit interview. So, first question. Okay. What did you do wrong? Wrong. What are all the things that you've done wrong in this wow. podcast so we can catalog them and remove them? Wow, 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 wow. I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm going to be really candid here, Andrew. This is, this has been um, such a learning experience for me because um, these are my first podcasts that I've ever done. And when I listen back, I do what... Oh, don't do that. <laughs> all, <laughs> I do what every new podcaster does, which is... It is a little bit hard not to step on your uh, interviewee, and it's not that a podcast is not the same as having a conversation. When you're talking to somebody, you're agreeing and you're saying, "Oh yeah," and you're you're participating. When you're in a podcast, you have to pull back on that a little bit, um, and you have to sort of give a little bit more of a visual cue of "Yes, I'm still listening" or "Bring that on." And I can I can definitely hear times when I have stepped on. Uh, the interviewee. And it's, it is a skill. I, I, when I listen to podcasts now, I have so much more admiration for the, the really good ones who don't do that. Absolutely. Um, It's hard. Some of them are found in the edit. I'm sure. (laughs) Fair. Um, I have to say you were so good right out of the gate that I never really felt like I had to coach or, you. you know, tell you what to do. I really just wanted you to keep the natural energy that you have because that's why we wanted you on here, right? Mm-hmm. We wanted that different energy, that different perspective, the different experience that you brought to it. And without it, oh man, I don't know what we're going to do. Going to have to find <laughs> maybe three extra executive producers. Just find someone, find someone with cheerleading in their background. That's what you need. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to put that on the job description. Must, Must be a cheerleader. A cheerleader. It could be a... Or, or a theater kid. Actually, oh, I was not okay. a cheerleader. I was a theater kid. And that is a, um, a really good background for this as well. <laughs> Next question. Why are you leaving us? What did we do wrong? Mostly because of you, Andrew. This has been, you know, just a really difficult relationship. <laughs> No, I think um, this is the best possible reason to leave an organization is you find an opportunity that is exactly what you were hoping for that is going to continue your growth, right? Like that's the best you can hope for is you've had a wonderful experience at an organization and you've kind of reached the end of what you and the organization can give to each other and you've found something that allows you to continue and allows you to give something to the next organization you're going to be part of. And that really 
thankfully, is what I came into is this is a new chapter for me. Lots of us are rethinking in this past year, lots of aspects of our lives. I have a feeling, you know, relationships and work and where I live and all of that stuff. And for me, it came to, I'm just ready for a new chapter. And this next opportunity gives me that. Well, all joking aside, we are really sad to see you go, but very, very happy to see you going to a a new chapter, as you said, and uh, to see you grow and do new things and kick some ass. This experience on the workplace has been one of my favorite things about this job. And I think I have said this to you before. I always wondered if this was something I would like or be good at. And you and our our wonderful audio engineer, who no one can hear from, but Daniel, have allowed me to do something new and exciting and interesting. And that is uh, always an opportunity that um, that we're all looking for, is, is getting to discover something new about yourself and about your talents. And I, I cannot thank you guys enough for allowing me a little bit of freedom to, to spread my wings a bit here. It's been, it has been truly uh, indescribable as an experience. Uh, I know. Oh, I'm getting uh, eyed It's dusty in here. A little bit. <laughs> Glad this isn't on video. Yeah, me too. <laughs> For a variety of reasons. I'm wearing a <laughs> fluffy pink sweater today that does not need to be. Yeah, it looks like it recorded. was made from a truffle tree. <laughs> it it does. No, it looks it looks like a sheepdog attacked me, but a pink one, <laughs> a bright pink sheepdog, is sitting on me. <laughs> Well, you look great. Thanks, And man. I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you. I wish the same. And I will be, I will continue to be a listener and an advocate of the workplace. Maybe you can oh, interview me We'll get you back on. Someday. Don't worry. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. There don't even go. worry about it. We'll find a way. <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for everything, you guys. You've been delightful with a capital D. As always, this episode was written and produced by yours truly, with original music and sound design by Daniel Foster Smith. If you liked this episode, or even if you didn't, please rate, review, and of course, subscribe to The Workplace on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a burning question about workplace culture or a story about why your workplace culture is the best or worst, send it to theworkplace at octanner.com. The Workplace is sponsored by OC Tanner, the global leader in engaging workplace cultures. OC Tanner's Culture Cloud provides a single modular suite of apps for influencing and improving employee experiences through recognition, career anniversaries, well-being, leadership, and more. If you want your organization to become a place where people can't wait to come to work in the morning, go to octanner.com. Topic for discussion? Oh, okay. oh, that's probably a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> okay. Oh, what's what's the topic for discussion? Oh, okay. oh that's probably a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> Hi.
topic for discussion? Okay. What's the topic for discussion? What's the topic for discussion? set for 2021 is good communication skills. The ability to communicate complex ideas in a simple way to multiple audiences is hot. I get to make those up. 